Cinema Obscura. There's a lot more to movies than the box office top ten. Go deeper. You'll find the bizarre, the shocking, sometimes the forbidden in titles that were here today and gone tomorrow. This week, it's a look at the 2004 comedy drama, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, and also, from 1980, the drama mystery, The Long Good Friday. I'm Steve Nikhazy, and joining us, independent Philadelphia filmmaker, Andre Bennett. Morning, Steve. Morning. We're getting some great feedback on social media so far. Yeah, and uh, keep it coming, guys. Uh, I can be found at Andre Bennett Go using the hashtag Cinema Obscura PHL. I love your feedback, your input, your suggestions, your questions, all of that. Keep it coming. Absolutely. And more movies to come. Thanks for some suggestions. We begin with a film co-written, directed, and co-produced by Wes Anderson, an oceanographer and his ragtag crew, including a man who may be his son, set out to avenge a shark death, a jaguar shark. But confusion, drama, and mild hilarity results in 2004's The Life Aquatic with Steve Sizu. He's the oceanographer, right? Yes. He's kind of a uh, tribute to Jacques Cousteau. Mm-hmm. And he said mild hilarity. I've kind of been wrestling with that for a while because I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, but this was the first of his movies that I came away a little disappointed the first time I saw it, especially compared to uh, Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums before that, which are his -hmm. career highlights, basically. This was the first movie that he did not co-write with Owen Wilson. He uh, actually co-wrote it with Noah Baumbach, who had done The Squid and the Whale, and who has since uh, done uh, Francis Ha and uh, Greenberg. His work is fine. I just didn't quite think the fit was there at the time. I think critics were kind of like scratching their heads over this one when it came out. They didn't know what to think of it. Uh, And there was no like middle ground. You either really liked it or you hated it. Yeah, it was definitely a little more polarizing than Anderson's previous movies. I've come around on it since. I watched it again, obviously, and I liked it a little more. It's definitely a little more fantastical, especially with little stop-motion animations of various uh, aquatic creatures done by Henry Selleck, best known as the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline. And that's something that surprised me. I didn't expect to see animation in this movie. Yeah, I think at the time I was a little uh, I was a little surprised, but now you know, having seen movies like that and Eagle versus Shark, where they're like stop motion animated bits and just fantastical segments that sort of push it or at least nudge it slightly into the realm of magical realism, I think at least in this movie it kind of skirted that edge just a bit. Bill Murray, this was his I want to say third movie with Anderson because he had co-starred in Rushmore and had a supporting role in the Royal Tenenbaums. Mm-hmm. Here he's all over it, and it's more of a Bill Murray-type role than anything else he had done with Wes at that time. Yeah, I can't imagine seeing anybody else in that role. I thought it was pretty much a a perfect fit for him, maybe even written with him in mind. And uh, he actually became a certified diver during the filming of this. I can believe it. Bill Murray is uh, committed to uh, every role he takes on, be it Jacques Cousteau or as Hunter S. Thompson or... A Ghostbuster. So I can believe that. Um, there is There wasn't a lot of footage of him actually diving. There's a little bit, but I still applaud the fact that he did that. The whole cast is, is stacked. My goodness. You had Bill Murray. You had Owen Wilson, who co-stars here 
as a man who may be his son, an airline pilot from Kentucky. You have Kate Blanchett as a pregnant reporter, Angelica Houston returning from Royal Tenenbaums as uh, Zisu's estranged wife, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Bud Court from Harold and Maude, and Seu Jorge, who is a Brazilian musician who in the movie sings covers of David Bowie songs in yes. Portuguese, yeah. which a lot of people loved and I still love. His covers are just solo guitar, just him singing, mm-hmm. and it's marvelous to hear them. I, you know, I like know, leaning against the rail of the of the of the ship, you know. Yeah, and I know that he changed the lyrics somewhat to reflect the actual plot of the movie. I, honestly, I don't put no Portuguese, so I couldn't tell. Uh, I just remember reading uh, that David Bowie himself loved what uh, what he had done, and. Uh, I think that still holds up. Yeah, and and they're not they're not entire songs. They're just like bumper pieces that get you from one scene to another. Yeah, although there is an actual like album I think that came out digitally sometime after the movie that had the full versions of those songs. So I would recommend uh, you seek that out because it's very beautiful. Couple of notes: the Belafonte, which was the research vessel used in the in the movie, it's actually a minesweeper that was bought and towed from South Africa. And actually, I think Jacques Cousteau's uh, uh, ship, his research ship, was actually a, an old mine minesweeper as well. And the jaguar shark, which pops up later in the movie, uh, is said to be one of the largest stop-action puppets ever constructed, eight feet long. <laughs> I can I can totally see that. The jaguar shark, <laughs> that, was, that was a very interesting shot. Uh, like, the whole, the whole movie, it's kind of like... No one really knows that the jaguar shark is real, and then, uh, and then you know yeah. things happen. And the jaguar shark puppet, it looks pretty good. I really kind of came in sort of wondering, you know, how's this going to hold up now? And I, it's definitely, it's a funny movie. It's still, I don't necessarily hold it as high as Royal Tenenbaums, and I think Owen Wilson's southern accent is yeah. not the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and and he he starts out as an as an airline pilot. He wears a Rolex GMT Master uh, watch, popular with pilots. Later, he winds up wearing a Rolex Submariner, which I guess is appropriate for that. But uh, the guy came from money, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I like that detail actually. That he would uh, he starts with the watch for pilots and then the watch for uh, for divers. Yeah, gotta have uh, gotta go underwater with that. Uh, how about how about this clip we have? So this is uh, where Kate Blanchett, uh, her character, is a reporter assigned to do a uh, profile on uh, Steve Zissou, who is setting out on a mission to kill the jaguar shark that murdered his longtime partner and best friend. This is her interviewing uh, Zissou shortly after she meets him. May I turn this on? Fire one. So what happened, in your opinion? What are you talking about? Well, don't you think the public perception of your work has significantly altered in the last five years? That's your first question? I thought this was supposed to be a puff piece. Should we come back to it? Yeah. Okay. Is it true that this is going to be your last voyage? Wow. No comment. Who told you that? No, goddammit. I'm only 52. I'm always start out with some stock dialogue. You know, favorite color. Blue, favorite food, sardines. How do you feel about part one of your new film? Why, how do you feel about part one of my new film? Well, I'm honest, you know, so... Just say it. I thought aspects of it seemed slightly fake. Well, Adarsky? I'll take five, Steve. I like taking five. 
Did it seem fake when my best friend was bitten in half right in front of me and eaten alive screaming? I think you're a fake. I think you're a phony and a bad reporter. How does that feel? Now tell me something. Does this seem fake? How dare you? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, we might uh, need an explanation there. Yeah, he had a gun. <laughs> he points a gun at her. That got real pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. Well, The Life Aquatic with Steve Sizu, and it's readily available. It is. Actually, it was released straight to the Criterion Collection when it first came out on DVD. You can find it still on DVD and Blu-ray. It's uh, also currently streaming on Netflix. All right. The Life Aquatic with Steve Sizu. Cinema Obscura. Next up, a rich British gangster is ready to seal a big deal, but a mysterious syndicate tries to move in on the action when bombs start exploding in 1980s The Long Good Friday. And as we discussed uh, before we selected this movie, Andre, a a well-made film, but one that may get lost in translation. (laughs) Yes. I tried to watch this with subtitles because the accents were a bit thick and even the closed captioning on Filmstruck couldn't catch all of it. So (laughs) there's that. But it's still a great movie. It is. And the thing about this was how Bond-like this movie was. The the music, the cinematography, everything kind of flowed in that direction to me. Oh, not to mention that there was an actual James Bond in it. Yeah. (laughs) That helps a lot. (laughs) Yeah. It starts out kind of weird because there's a lot of stuff that feels disconnected, but it all kind of comes into greater focus and you find out why it's all connected towards the end. But more than anything else, this movie is a showcase for Bob Hoskins. This was kind of his breakthrough film. He plays Harold Shand, the gangster who is trying to go legit. But things don't things never work out that way when you're when you're an organized crime in these movies and try to go straight. So uh, yeah, that's the kiss of death right there. You yeah, suddenly uh, things start blowing up. Uh, People close to him start dying and he doesn't know why. So his whole thing is trying to figure out exactly why his world is suddenly falling apart over the course of Easter weekend. And he has no clue. So this man who's been in control of his criminal empire has basically kept the peace, so to speak, in London for like. A decade, there's really been no gang trouble and he's got the cops in his pocket because he kind of keeps the streets uh, sort of from falling apart. All of a sudden, things start uh, going south and the whole hook is why and who. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about Bill Murray, who used to hang out with some of the people he was portraying in in a film. Uh, We think about Hunter Thompson. But in this case, Bob Hoskins actually hung out with gangsters for a while. I can totally believe that. And in this movie, he has this – I mean gravitas is one way of putting it. But for me, it's kind of like he has the aura of a pit bull straining at his leash. Like at any moment, he could just go off on it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. He's so intense and he can go from intense to vulnerable to collegial and back to just, you know, wild-eyed. And he he goes through the whole range – He's supported by Helen Mirren in this movie, and she is she's wonderful. But this is still mostly him. Yeah, exactly. And if you're used to seeing Helen Mirren in the post The Queen roles that she does, 
you know, it's refreshing to go back and look at some of her earlier films from 1979, 1980, and she was uh, a lot of fun in, in those roles back then. Oh, yeah, she was great. In this movie, she's the tether that uh, that Harold has. She's kind of the one behind him keeping everything mm-hmm. going and uh, helping him sort of keep uh, keep his empire afloat. And uh, She provides uh, numerous moments of clarity in this film, which, yes. which is a good thing. And also Pierce Brosnan, his first real film role. Yes. <laughs> he's, it's not quite blink and you'll miss it because he's in it for a couple minutes. He's easy to spot. He just doesn't have any dialogue, but he's still very pivotal. It's funny because shortly after this, he visited the set of the Bond movie For Your Eyes Only. Who knew that uh, yeah. about 15 years later, <laughs> yeah. he'd be James Bond. It's uh, It was a long journey for him, but it started uh, in this movie. Yeah, and for Bob Hoskins, I guess like three or four years later, he would be doing the, uh, the Roger Rabbit. Yeah, that movie. was, that was I want to say like eight or so, like nine years later. Yeah, because like in 89, mm-hmm. he did that, uh, and he was wonderful. He's a character actor with leading man intensity. He's got the looks of a character actor. He's he's short and stout, right? And right. uh, kind of sort of got sort of a pug type face, but he can hold the screen like very few people. Yeah, he really can, and and that's that's a that's a good point because there are several scenes in this movie where it's just basically his face. Yeah, and you know you you look at his face and and you start studying for, for the emotion, and it's all there. Yeah, especially that the final shot, which is, I think, one of the most famous final shots in film. That's the thing with Hoskins. It's like he can make you sympathize with the character even though his character is kind of vile. Yeah. He's a terrible yeah. person. Not a despicable guy there. He, he is. He's, he, he's kind of terrible. He's racist. He's violent. He's uh, totally corrupt. But – Hoskins really kind of makes you empathize with that character in the sense that anyone's life can just fall apart given circumstances. And this is kind of what happens here. Long Good Friday, we have a clip. We do. So his best friend is murdered by Pierce Brosnan in this movie. And this is shortly after they find the body and he remembers better times. I did my national service, we call it. We did six months in a glass house together. Two kids of 18. Six months. He put us right through it, the bastard. <laughs> so as we played manoeuvres, we used to have to hunt this bleeding great wireless about. One winter. Snows, blizzards. Freezing the bollocks off the ponies. I got lost. In them days, you stayed lost. So they nicked you for being AWOL. And Colin on a 24-hour pass. He came out looking for me on his own. It's like he found me, I would have froze to death. Yeah. Colin never hurt a fly. Well, only when it was necessary. It was always clean, wasn't it? Never anything malicious about Colin. Why slice him up? Oh, my grief. Sorry, H. Me and Colin was very close. I've known him since he was at school. What's going on? They try and blow up me, Mum. Wipe out me best mates. What are they trying to do? Put a frighteners on me, wind me up? What? 
from the Long Good Friday, and this is readily available. It is. It's streaming on Filmstruck currently. You can find it also on uh, on DVD and the, and the usual channels. Also, you might notice Colin. Eagle-eyed viewers will notice that that's Paul Freeman who played uh, the bad guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He played Balak. So James Bond kills uh, Balak. It's, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, he does. And that scene is just one example of the emotion that Bob Hoskins brings to this. This is – it's a really good crime film. It's a really good uh, mystery, especially once everything starts falling into place. But more than anything, it's just a showcase for uh, Bob Hoskins' talent, and he was uh, he was a guy that's missed. I dare say this probably won't be the last time we talk about him on this show. Probably not. Probably not. Well, Long Good Friday and also The Life Aquatic. Check him out this week's features on Cinema Obscura. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, Steve. Cinema Obscura. And I'm Steve Nicasey, along with Andre Bennett. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced in the KYW studios in Philadelphia. For more shows, check out the new Radio.com app. Also on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for listening. I'm sick of these dolphins.